You are listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We are very excited later in the show tonight to bring you an interview with Mr. J. Ducote, the host of the Bite and Booze radio show and the proprietor of BiteandBooze.com. Be, uh, get your taste buds prepped because it is a delicious episode coming at you later in the show. But first, this is episode 48 of Baltimoreans, which coincidentally is the number in millions that the Cleveland Indians are paying this year for Michael Bourne to play baseball for the next four years in the Cleveland Indians uniform. <laughs> now, so far this year, Michael Bourne is putting up a 333.375 600 slash line. And he is OPSing at a 975 rate. He's hit two home runs and has a few steals. He is, of course, on the DL for 15 days, but that is only because of a uh, accident in which he got cleated in the finger and uh, had a bunch of stitches. He'll be back. He'll be good. Let's compare that number to his replacement on the Braves. <laughs> BJ Upton, perhaps still reeling from his devastating house painter metaphor deployed on this very show, has cobbled together a 151, 229, 291 slash line and is OPSing at a 520 rate. That's 520 versus 975. He's a hit. swing of approximately Nate McClaus on base percentage. <laughs> He's hit one more home run than Michael Bourne, but is getting paid almost twice as much. That's 700, I'm sorry, $75.25 million over five years. That's a difference of $27.25 million or three years of Matt Cain. What? No, 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 no. That's right. The difference between Michael Bourne's salary and BJ Upton's salary is Matt Cain. <laughs> On the other hand, my head hurts. <laughs> BJ's younger brother Justin is rampaging through the major league pitching as though someone gave him some of Captain America's wonder serum. Uh, and maybe, you know, you could make a claim that it's the calming influence of having BJ around that's making that happen, in which case, worth the money. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, he, BJ is certainly hitting at a very calm rate, I would say. <laughs> How that's uh, inspiring his brother to put up uh you know uh duke snyderian numbers <laughs> hard to say hard uh, to say um families also, are weird you know families are weird of course on this day well may 1st uh we must all take a moment to remember that 113 years ago today the schofield mine disaster killed over 200 men in schofield utah uh, which is to date the fifth worst mining accident in united states history a moment of silence for the schofield mine disaster I, I'm sorry, I, I just have to bust into the moment of silence here. The fifth worst? Fifth worst. 200 men, fifth worst. So there are four mining disasters that are even worse than that. Yes. And mining is, that's that's still legal? Technically so. It's still legal yeah. to mine? Yep. And has been for the subsequent 113 years after the Scofield mining disaster. But uh, but quick question. <laughs> just just a. Just a quick question. Sure. It, say I wanted yes. to purchase a an herbed plant uh -huh. um, that uh, when burned, right? Um, the smoke from which oh, was that's inhaled. Illegal. That's illegal. Can't, can't do that. Nope. Right? Can't do that. Okay. Cool. Yep. Today is also <laughs> the birthday of U.S. frontier woman Calamity Jane. Happy 106th birthday. Mm -hmm. 161st birthday. Excuse me. 161st birthday. To calamity. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I greatly enjoy the portrayal of you by who, whichever actress plays you in the television show Deadwood. <laughs> this, it would work a lot better if I could name that, uh, that woman. You know what? That's that's a job for uh, for for post production. Now, which we won't do. <laughs> it's a job for post production. Maybe I could uh, drop the name in. <laughs> That'd be great if it was like I really enjoy the portrayal of you by Suzanne Frampton, <laughs> or maybe in more of a robotic voice. Anyway, Suzanne Frampton. <laughs> what I should really do in post production is cut this part out. <laughs> but we won't do that either. No. Enjoy. Enjoy. Um, now, Mayday, Alan, isn't that also the one where the uh, the virgins dance around the pole? Uh, could well be that didn't come up in my research, in so the, I, I'm, I'm not sure. In the, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, you know, I think we should all, uh, we should all toast to the, the hopes and aspirations of virginity. Um, <laughs> should, should we? And all, well, you know, yeah, you know, okay. it's, it's a, it's a time of, of, of innocence and, okay. And, okay. and longing that I think kind of, uh, builds your personality in productive ways. Um, have you ever, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever uh, made the romance with a lady? Because <laughs> that, that's nice too. And uh, it is. It is. I just figured I'd get <laughs> I drugs wa- and sex wanna... <laughs> in up top. I don't want to reveal too much to the uh, the Baltimore listening faithful. I I'm not saying I've ever done it. I'm just I'm saying... just going to leave. It. I think we should leave it up to the 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 open question of mystery. How about that? Okay. My thing is this show is about. <laughs> The, the the desires of the flesh to eat great food to and I've now made it about these other things sure um, these other to win cravings. the World Series yeah these carnal kind of primal <laughs> needs that we all share as humans right moving on let's probably talk about baseball now so we are one month into the season yes we are one month into the season how's Alan? everyone feeling how is how, everybody how are you guys, feeling how are you guys feeling out there you know uh, I I wrote about this on the blog today baltimoreonspodcast.com uh, and I, I guess the thing that I wanted to put out there into the world is that three Aprils ago, Alan, three, three Aprils, um, we, we came to the end of the month and our record was five and 18 and Dave Tremblay was our manager Oof. and there was no reason to think that anything was ever going to change. Um, and it is only three Aprils later that we're sitting here, 16 and 11. dark and filled with terrors. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> and those terrors were uh, like Carl Pavano fastballs <laughs> that just whipped past us as though... Without the, without the bat ever moving off the shoulder. Just nothing. No. Felix P.A. was standing there with that asinine look on his oh. face. I remember him. I could keep going. <laughs> remember when he hit for the cycle? We were all excited about that. Remember when Chris Jakubowskis started 10 games? Nope. <laughs> Blocked that out. Good. <laughs> that was that was not that long ago, Alan. Right. And and we're sitting here now coming off, obviously, a 93-win season and looking at, at the Orioles' interplay tonight at 16-11. and 11. Um, And they have basically matched their pace out of the gate from last season and are being widely talked about uh, throughout baseball as legitimate contenders in the American League East. Um, and I think the, the fact that we have come far enough that we not only are no longer grateful for how well they're doing, but we're somewhat spiteful about certain front office and managerial decisions <laughs> because we feel like they threaten some success that we're owed. Uh, when, you know, really, we've only had one good year in the last 15. 
I think that's pretty remarkable. So does that mean you are feeling currently sort of cautiously optimistic? Um, or, or, or have you switched over to the full sort of worry panic that the Red Sox and the Yankees, who we all had penciled in for an off year, are actually legitimate teams and we're going to end up third or fourth? I'm wildly optimistic. I'm wildly, wildly optimistic, optimistic because right. I, think, I think the thing that has settled in for me is that we have, we have a core, which is something that we never used to have and that other teams have been building around for years. We now have uh, a, a solid core on our team of Matt Wieters, Adam Jones, Manny Machado. Um, I, I think it seems pretty likely that... Uh, Go ahead and throw Chris Davis in there. Yeah, Chris Davis is cruising for a contract extension. Um, and we have Gossman and Bundy down on the farm. Um, and these are, these are the kinds of players who are going to be making very meaningful contributions for the next generation of Orioles fans. All right, Mr. Cautiously Optimistic. Who the hell is your fifth starter on this Orioles team? Well, I'm not saying there's no problem, <laughs> Sal. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's like virginity. <laughs> the, part of the hope... <laughs> is the knowledge that things are fundamentally flawed in some way. And that they can get better. And that they can get better. Yeah. I mean, th there are worse problems in the world than needing a fifth starter. Sure. You know? There are worse problems in the world than being a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> that is also true. Uh, tell <laughs> there that, aren't that many tell of them. Tell that but... <laughs> to my 14-year-old self. Tell that, tell that to my 19-year-old self. Oops. <laughs> Anyway, tell that to Josh Stinson. Tell that who to momentarily, uh, for those paying any kind of attention, last Wednesday was the Orioles starter for a moment. Yes, yes. Hopefully, that was a brief moment in time, which we will never have to revisit. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, just to go back to the drug metaphor, that maybe Buck Showalter took a weekend trip to Amsterdam, and that's what prompted that decision. Uh, when you have Josh Stinson, Josh Stinson. Although, to Josh Stinson's credit, that that was a winnable game. Um, that was that was the game that I believe that was the game that we ended up losing in extras to the Dodgers on a couple of bad throws. Uh, yeah, but um, he gave up a lot of runs before that happened. He, he did give up a fair number of runs. <laughs> did give up a fair number of runs. Now uh, the other question on our uh, our plates here, Alan, is sure we got Nate McClouth right. uh, putting up MVP caliber numbers. Absolutely, uh, and a lot of people are clamoring for him to get off the platoon. Um, schedule. Mm -hmm. He's currently been sitting against left-handed starting pitchers. Right. Um, where do you come down on that? Do you want to see him in the lineup every day? Or are you happy with where things are? I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say, not only do I want to see him in the lineup every day, I'm going to go ahead and throw his hat in the ring for MVP candidate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think uh, Miguel Cabrera, I'm putting you on notice. <laughs> Mike Trout, look out. <laughs> Mike Trout, look out. That is officially the title of this episode. <laughs> Nate McLeod is on deck. Listeners will have to tune in to find out that Mike Trout is looking out for Nate McLeod, <laughs> the, the blondie-haired, lanky shadow of Nate McLeod. Now, I actually seriously think that we should keep whatever whatever Nate McLeod is currently doing, whatever his schedule for shaving, his laundry schedule, whatever his sleep and food schedule is, whether he is brushing his hair to the left or to the right right now, I want him to keep doing exactly that yeah don't change a thing keep sitting versus left right left handers keep coming into the seventh inning as a defensive replacement just keep doing what you're doing don't change because as long as he's continuing at this sort of 365 with a good home run and he's stolen nine bags already i believe so he is becoming a legitimate terror 
on the base paths. Well, which you, we have not had since Brian Roberts was still alive. It's true. It's true. It, it's it, he gets on base, which he's doing forty three percent of the time, which and, is ridiculous. And it's in it's in the pitcher's mind. One thing I I, I want to reference very quickly before we move on is uh, you were talking about B J Upton earlier. Um, do you know how much we're paying Nate McLeod to play for us this year? Three million. One million. Wow. We are paying him one million dollars for right now a pro- literally three and a half times the production. I just said literally, like I've actually done the math, <laughs> but figuratively, three and a half times production. I think conservatively, three and a half times the production <laughs> that BJ Upton uh, is it, giving it, the Braves for fifteen million. It's one of those things where if you talk about uh, the the dollars per uh, percentage of OPS, Nate McLeod has got to be one of the league leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is, he is if I may use a metaphor, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of baseball. <laughs> sure. You can use that metaphor. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and sign off on that. Texas Chainsaw, Chain, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, being the highest grossing film per dollar invested of American movie history. As well it should be. I've never seen it. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move along here. Uh, we have a couple of news and notes from around the league, which I think bear uh, your attention. Yes. One, of course, is this week's shitty owner's watch. And your boy, Jeff Loria, I, down that's there my in boy. Florida. That's my boy, Jeff. <laughs> has personally been mandating lineup changes. I, I heard this. Phoning this down from the owner's box. Uh, in a doubleheader in Minnesota, where the first pitch weather was below 40 degrees, Loria told his first-year skipper, uh, Reed Terrified, that he was to start rookie phenom Jose Fernandez during the day. Uh, I think that's a new horizon of shitty ownership for him because it sort of not only uh, uh, is his usual thing of, of gutting the team whilst pillaging through the Marlins tax base, he's also uh, destroying his skipper's ability to manage the team and making everyone hate the young rookie pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the thing I loved is, um, you, you, just to give you a, an idea of the state of mind that has to be going on in Miami right now, The they were telling a story on the Orioles broadcast about this the other night, that uh, apparently when Buck Showalter was managing the Yankees, George Steinbrenner used to call um, to offer him his thoughts on what moves Showalter used to make over the course of the game. And Showalter eventually learned, you just don't answer the phone and you do what you would like to do. Right. Um, and, of course, Buck Showalter lost that job, so... There uh, you go. <laughs> but if that hadn't happened, he would never have uh, managed for us. So I'm and okay with it, ultimately. In the long run, it's, it's for the best. What I'm, what I'm saying is I'm okay with what Jeffrey Loria is doing if the gentleman who is managing the Marlins ends up managing the Orioles to an improbable playoff berth somewhere down the line. <laughs> that will justify Jeffrey Loria's actions. I would also take uh, Mike Stanton and or the pitcher in question, Mr. Fernandez. <laughs> yeah, and, it, it, you know, if they want to just throw Nolasco in sure, um, for the heck flames of it, why not? I mean, Ricky was the gentleman who was bumped to the later game. Uh, right. As a, as a uh, 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 it's funny that the skipper caved. I mean, it's funny that, that the switch happened. It wasn't just like, you know, it, it wasn't just that he called down and did this, but the guy the guy felt like he had to make the move. Well, not I think, a good look for the Miami franchise right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I think uh, I think I think 
in the defense of Houston's manager or Miami's manager. Huh, that's funny that I got those two teams confused. <laughs> Ooh, our guest coming up in a couple seconds is not going to like that one. <laughs> also, in case you guys haven't noticed, uh, Al and I have not named Miami's manager because we don't know what it is. <laughs> And there's really no need to have looked it up because uh, Jeffrey Laurie is going to fire him soon because he's already doing his job, and that would save that, that's money off his bottom line. That's true. That's true. He's 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 on um, probably 50 games notice. Yeah, I don't remember what I was going to say. So why don't we continue? <laughs> all right, we have one more segment for you all today, and it's a bit of a doozy. So hang in there. Yes, the Yankees and their much ballyhooed austerity plan to get them under the luxury tax, seems to be heading the same way as Reinhardt and Rogoff. Now, for those of you who don't know economists by their last names, Reinhardt and Rogoff are two Harvard luminaries who have recently proven to be very bad at Excel. Um, Failure to add the cells correctly has thrown into doubt a key study cited in most everyone's favorite denunciation of government spending and has literally everyone in Europe slapping their foreheads and wondering why they ever thought having Paul Ryan on speed dial was a good idea. The Yankees' austerity project seems to be headed in the same direction. After looking long and hard at the numbers, checking the potential financial outcomes against what appears to be an increasingly aging and decrepit team, and finally realizing, fuck it, we're the Yankees, it appears that $189 million in payroll is simply just not a major priority for the team anymore. Instead, they're going to go out shopping and try to rebuild a left side of the infield, some starting pitching depth, and they're currently thinking about a $12 million investment with the great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter of Juan Ponce de Leon to see what she can turn up. To quote one unnamed Yankees official, quote, It was a good try, but deep down we all pretty much knew it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> That's an actual quote from a <laughs> unnamed Yankees source saying, you know what? Forget that whole austerity package thing. We're just going to punt. Well, uh, and I would love to challenge the Baltimoreans listeners to guess what in the segment Alan just read <laughs> is real and what is made up, because it, the truth will set you free. <laughs> There's more real in that statement than any one of us wants to believe. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and a final bit of news from around the league on Monday. This is, in fact, not at all funny. Dylan Bundy visited Dr. Andrews. Oh, that, that's not funny at all. I don't have any jokes about that. Why would you say that? It's just horrible. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bundy has received a uh, PRP, that's a platelet-rich plasma injection. I love those. Uh, and was prescribed six weeks rest. According to the MRI, there is no ligament damage in his arm. Well, uh, we are just... Furiously knocking on wood here. Knocking the dickens out of the desks here at Hootenanny Studios. It would be nice to see uh, Mr. Bundy pitch again this year. It, I, I'd, uh, that'd be my preferred outcome. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. I would say. Um, I did want to, uh, before we get to our guest, Alan, I, I did want to make one, one quick observation. Um, since we're talking about, about, uh, evil, Mm -hmm. Um, writ large, or we were when we were talking about Jeffrey Loria. um, And the Yankees. And the Yankees. (laughs) And we're also about to talk about food with Jay Ducote. Um, This is what I wanted to point out. Uh, You're familiar with the the pizza restaurant Papa John's? I am. And I I shouldn't really say pizza or restaurant because neither of those (laughs) things are fair characterizations of what they do at that place. Um, You're aware that they have this promotion um where every every time the Orioles win and score five or more runs right if you make an order with Papa John's the next day you get half off your order half off my order for online orders only in Baltimore in Baltimore yes um now Papa John's is running that exact same promotion here in New York 
But here's the fuck of it. <laughs> In New York, you only get it if the Yankees win and they score six or more runs. Really? Really. Now, New York inflation. Exactly. Now, here's the thing, Alan. God, I hate this city. I do, too. <laughs> and I don't know why we continue to live here, especially when we're doing a program that's about a, a different state, um, which neither of us are from, which we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> but I, I have spent uh, I've spent a certain amount of time uh, working as an administrative assistant for large soulless corporations. Indeed. And if there's one thing I've learned yes. in doing that work, it's that a large soulless corporation, no matter how much it seems like they're on your side... They're always looking out for that bottom line. Oh, yeah. So they're not. So Papa John's, which I think uh, pizza restaurant, not a good definition. Large soulless corporation. <laughs> spot on, I think. <laughs> they, uh, there's no way they're making this offer. Right. Unless they know that they're somehow going to make money on sure. it. Sure. So they know, they, they have done the math. Right. And figured out that it's unlikely enough that the Orioles will win and score five runs, that they're going to have to give give away too much, quote-unquote, uh, pizza. pizza. <laughs> now, with the Yankees, they're like, oh, apparently, well, it's the Yankees. Apparently, it's a six-run cushion. They're going to score more runs. We're going to have to bump wow. that up to six. That's like Vegas lines. It, it makes me hate the Yankees more. It makes me hate Papa John's more. And quite frankly, it makes me detest the nation in which we reside. So on that note, um, <laughs> we are actually really excited for our next segment. He is a, a bright, a, a, bright, a shining beacon in a dark America. An otherwise, and an otherwise unredeemable nation. <laughs> We're going to talk to Jay Decody. Jay was one of my fellow finalists for the 2013 MLB Fan Cave, and he is a food blogger and chef of great renown. And he joins us now on the home of the all-weather fan, Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, we are on the line with radio host, blogger, and one of my fellow Fan Cave finalists for 2013, Jay Ducote. He is the proprietor of BiteAndBooze.com, and he is also uh, has the brave, brave trait of being a Houston Astros fan. Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you this evening, Mr. Ducote? Doing pretty well. I don't think I've ever been called a proprietor before, so I, I like that. <laughs> Moving on up in the world, I tell you. Uh, you are the host of your own radio show, uh, several of your own radio shows. One is called Bite and Booze. Yeah, I, I, that's right. The Bite and Booze radio show is uh, it's a weekly, hour-long, uh, food and beverage-based radio show uh, that airs in South Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, and then it, it gets podcasted and archived on my website as well. Excellent. And uh, you also uh, have a show called Raise a Glass, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Raise a Glass. It's, uh, it's actually a show on another uh, radio station in Baton Rouge. It's a, it's a community radio station. And they were looking for some happy hour programming on the drive home <laughs> on Fridays and uh, approached me about doing something on the booze side. And so we have a show called Raise a Glass, and it's about the History, traditions, culture, production, and of course, consumption of alcoholic beverages. Excellent. That's awesome. Now, how did you end up on television? Because uh, something else the listeners may not know is that you were also on the television show MasterChef. I was. I was. So I got a job working for 
actually at the time the state of Louisiana and the Department of Health and Hospitals, and they farmed me out to a nonprofit that was doing health information technology grant writing. And so I, I wrote grants and researched health information technology stuff and was really bored. I knew nothing about healthcare. I had no interest <laughs> in information technology, but I was researching and writing grants in the health information technology field. And, uh, and it was a nine to five desk job. And, and I had, you know, had been in school for seven years and gotten a master's degree and kind of to avoid a nine to five desk job. And then I had taught <laughs> high school and coached baseball, which is definitely not a nine to five desk job. And so I, really started spending time while bored out of my mind at a computer <laughs> writing about everything that I ate and drank. Uh -huh. uh, I started a blog and, you know, I didn't spend an excessive amount of time on it at first because it was brand new. And I mean, a, I could write a post a day in 20 minutes and sure. it was just something to keep me sane in the middle of yeah. all the all the other research and writing on health health uh, IT that I was doing, and you and they and, theoretically expected you to do a little bit of that during the day too. So you, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's either that or play on Facebook or whatever, you know. Sure. So I mean, uh, so I, I started the blog then, and this was September two thousand nine, and uh, and and by the summer of two thousand ten, I had been writing uh, for a, a local magazine for a couple months. Um, doing my first freelance writing uh, that had really stemmed off the blog. And I entered this recipe contest that was done by Comcast Sports South. And uh, it was a, a Tony Shastri's tailgating cook-off where they selected a recipe to represent each school in the Southeastern Conference. And my recipe got selected to represent LSU. Nice. Uh, oh, cool. It, it was a, uh, a blackberry bourbon bone-in Boston butt. Whoa. Uh, to, <laughs> Solid to alliteration. The bite and booze alliteration. Yeah, seriously. Um, so it's basically just a, 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 a we took a pork shoulder and injected it with a mixture of blackberry jam, honey, and bourbon, and then rubbed it on the outside with a blend of the Tony Shastri's Cajun seasoning because oh you had God. to eat one of their products, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then brown sugar, and then smoked it over Louisiana pecan for 12 hours. Um, that sounds amazing. And, wow. So... <laughs> Basically, that recipe ended up doing very well, and uh, <laughs> uh, I got to do a lot of cooking demos on news shows and nice. and things like that to promote the recipe. I ended up winning the online voting portion, and then they actually had a cook-off on uh, LSU's campus, actually. Uh, oh, no and way. I, I won that, so I won the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, and the, the day of that event, actually was when they had a, an audition for MasterChef in New Orleans. They had a casting call in New Orleans. What? And, completely uh, unrelated? Uh, completely unrelated. Oh, I actually man. had turned the audition in New Orleans down because the finals for this tailgating cook-off were at the same time. And then the the TV god smiled upon me yeah, I'll and say. moved the LSU Ole Miss game to 2.30 in the afternoon. So that bumped up the tailgating cook-off and gave me time to go to New Orleans afterwards. Wow. But you had to bring a dish. You had to bring a food item to the MasterChef auditions. And, of <laughs> course, I had nothing to bring right. except the leftover pork shoulder that I had been smoking all day. <laughs> uh, and, and I told him that. I, I said, look, it, you know, I know your rule is that I have to bring a dish. I'm bringing this pork shoulder that I'm cooking for this other contest because I don't have time to bring anything else. Yeah. And they were just like, that's fine. Just show up. They clearly had seen my blog and, and, and at least 
had some sort of inkling that that I was going to be somebody that they wanted for the show. They knew who they so were I, dealing with. Yeah, I, I showed up uh, at the casting call in New Orleans and um, moved on to the next round and moved on to the next round and had to do a home video and send that to Los Angeles and ended up getting cast as one of the top 100 amateur chefs in America and got Man. flown out to Los Angeles to film the Fox reality show MasterChef with Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> I have to say... Always old Gordon. Yeah, right. Alan's old friend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have to say one of my uh, one of my favorite memories of the uh, the very very enjoyable week that we spent together in Arizona for the fan cave was uh, one night after all the day's activities. You and Hayden Moss, who was yeah. also there uh, and is a gentleman who won the television show Big Brother, you guys were yeah. sitting in the uh, in the jacuzzi at the hotel, uh, drinking Coors Lights and kind of trading reality TV stories. <laughs> And the rest of us are kind of standing there like, what else happens on television? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that actually leads pretty well into the entirely ridiculous premise that we have come yes. up with for having you on the show here, uh, which is, so you're somebody who successfully created the a dish that was considered to be the most indicative of your home state and university um, by, by the vote of judges. And so knowing that about you, we asked if you would be willing to conceive of the American League West, in which your beloved Houston Astros play, as a yeah. five-course meal. Um, yeah, a five-course dinner based on the AL West. I mean, this is something that uh, I might actually have to put this up on com after we talk about it. Oh, nice. Uh, I hope you will. <laughs> and, and, and I'll send a link back to y'all's uh, podcast. Yeah, that would be great. Because it's... Uh, I might actually be onto something here. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll start with uh, with the first course. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it, it's uh, you know it's it's just something to get the palate warmed up. And so this is where I put the Astros uh, because they're really just a warm up for everybody else. Oh uh, no! Oh no! <laughs> so really, just kind of uh, an amuse bouche, and, uh, and and I I thought about this. Uh, well, a couple things. One, I wanted just something small to represent the Astros, and then also something small thinking, to represent uh, the Astros. I about, like it <laughs> about Jose Altuve and how small he is, right. um, and being one of the Astros' best players. So we're gonna go with just like a little one bite uh, amuse bouche. But I want to do a uh, also kind of back to the taco idea and the Mexican influence there. Uh, I wanted to do a, a Mexican mole braised pork cheek. Ooh. With a, a minute-made orange juice reduction oh on a blue corn tortilla. Love and have it. that be like a little mini taco. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So course course two, um, we're, we're going to do a, a soup course. And uh, and this is where I put the Seattle Mariners. Um, and, uh, and, and I was thinking about some different ingredients uh, that could represent the Mariners to go in a soup. And, uh, and I thought of... Uh, King Felix uh, and yes. doing a King Crab soup oh. um, with uh, Justin Smoke uh, Smoked Brie. <laughs> so oh, we're gonna do a, a a Crab and Brie soup uh, representing uh, King Felix and Justin Smoke, um, and uh, it'll just be a nice, uh, creamy, cheesy King Crab uh, soup. It's a Crab and Brie soup is actually a. a a really good dish that's uh, featured at quite a few Louisiana restaurants, but I think we can we can make it Seattle enough to, uh, to sure. fit with, <laughs> sure. with those guys. 
I have to say, I was expecting uh, the menu that you came up with to be uh, both funny and extremely well put together from a culinary uh, standpoint, but I was not expecting it to actually make my mouth water. (laughs) I, like, really want to eat this meal. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about the whole thing. Uh, I agree. So... So uh, our, our third course we're going to do uh, – well, we just had the, the king crab in the soup, uh, but that was still the soup course. And, and I like to do a, uh, a seafood course and then a, a land-based protein course uh, with dinners like this. And so uh, this one might be the most obvious single dish in my menu. <laughs> okay. right, for right. the angels, we're going to do a pan-seared Mike Trout. <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna serve that over a uh, just a, a lemon and herb risotto, and then uh, what the other thing that I really thought here is that I wanted to do this is again getting a Louisiana influence in here, but we're y'all know about a, a beignet? It's basically yeah. like a oh, donut, yes. right? I mean, it's oh, like yes. fried dough. Uh-huh. Well, I w- we're gonna do a savory dough, stuff it with a spinach and artichoke mixture. Okay. And then deep fry that. So it's a stuffed beignet, but it's a savory beignet. But then we're still going to top it with uh, some Josh Hamilton powdered sugar to represent <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> and this, and and I'm eating this. I'm eating this alongside the pan-seared the Mike, Mike Trout. trout yeah, Co- correct, correct. The, uh, alongside the pan-seared Mike Trout with the the lemon and herb risotto. And I'm and I'm <laughs> and I'm eating all this, and I'm loving it, and I'm only three fifths of the way through. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Correct. Starting to struggle here as we get into the fourth. You guys, here. Uh, you guys do it right down there in Louisiana. <laughs> uh, we try. We try. Um, <laughs> All right. So, uh, so what's, what's the, our fourth right. dish? Like you said, we're only uh, we're only three fifths of the way through. So, All right. The fourth dish we're gonna go uh, with the Texas Rangers, and I, I think of any of the of any of these states, uh, you know, where we're, we're gonna get our meat course from Texas. <laughs> they yes, are a meaty, a meaty bunch of men. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're uh, we're we're gonna go a little bit of a twist because we already were in Texas for the Astros course. Right. We already kind of got the Mexican influence here. Sure. So uh, when when looking at the Rangers, we're going a different direction, and and it turns out that you Darvish is actually from the town of Kobe in Japan, which is where all real Kobe beef wow. comes from. Wow. Oh, that so that fact we, is a boon to this <laughs> podcast segment. <laughs> We uh, we we we're gonna use Texas beef, but it's gonna be uh, Texas Kobe style beef, and we're gonna do. But to keep it Texas, we're gonna do a bone-in ribeye. So we're gonna do an an Asian spiced bone-in Kobe beef ribeye. Oh my! Uh, this menu and that's has gonna be to served with happen. a sesame sautéed baby spin. Uh, sorry, sesame sautéed baby spinach uh, and some pickled vegetables. Uh, to go with it as well, all uh, representing the, the Asian and, and new Darvish idea. Oh, man. Maybe we can even work in a uh, Darvish delicious pun. Um, <laughs> we might have to work a little too hard to make it worth our while, but, uh, you know, let's keep that in the back of our heads for when we're putting the Absolutely. pamphlet together. <laughs> we can do that for sure. So uh, so the, the A's get the dessert course, and... Uh, you know, I think maybe rightfully so, saving them for last these days with the the kind of ragtag roster they put together, sure. but but winning just as good as anybody else. Yeah, uh, and and doing what they do. Um, and and I also just felt like uh, we could make it work with with uh, with the dessert, and particularly just looking at their outfield. So uh, <laughs> their starting outfield is where we're going to pull the dessert from, and. 
Uh, we're going to do a, a Cuban-spiced panna yes. cotta. Uh, yes. So Cuban spicing. Uh, we're getting cesspitous. And then we're topping that uh, with some crumbled Cocoa Krispies. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and then uh, around it, it's we're going so to It's so funny, a, uh, but it also sounds so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and uh, Josh Reddick is from Savannah, Georgia. And so uh, mm-hmm. he's going to be represented with a, a red for Reddick uh, molasses sauce. So a, a red molasses sauce for Josh Reddick from Savannah, Georgia, uh-huh. to go with our, our Cuban spiced panna cotta topped with Cocoa Krispies. Red for Reddick and red for state. Yes, it this is. This has got to happen. This <laughs> menu has got to come together, and I need to eat it. <laughs> I, I really think it could work. I, I think it could. <laughs> well, well. Now that the listeners have heard a a, a masterfully crafted meal that uh, also references uh, actual baseball in extremely subtle and intelligent ways, <laughs> by Jay Ducote, our guest on the program today, we'd now like to offer you what we came up with for the American League East by way of uh, ending the segment on a down note. <laughs> We uh we took a stab at coming up with an AL East version of what you've just done, Jay. And you'll notice that it's much less delicious in its delivery. <laughs> <laughs> so your meal is going to begin with an appetizing platter of Toronto Blue Jay calamari, which is a promising blend of light-hitting flavors grilled in lemon and accentuated with a periodic explosions of broad, muscular potency and chili peppers. At first, the blend <laughs> may seem like likely to overwhelm the remainder of the meal, but it will inevitably slide down the throat with much greater ease than anticipated, leaving the diner satisfied but hungry for more. Garnished lightly with cilantro. What do you think? Uh, that would work. That would work. <laughs> yeah. I like your uh, your your diplomacy is appreciated. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I like starting with the calamari. Yeah, uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's always tasty. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, I, I didn't realize this, but uh, when we talked about the chili peppers being somewhere in the middle, uh, it, it actually, you know, provides a, a slight bit of maybe vaguely racially inappropriate reference to the <laughs> Latin American core of the Blue Jays infield. Um, Absolutely. No, I, I mean, it's a, it, it works, you know, that's, that's what you have to play on. Clearly, I went to Japan with my U Darvish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We uh, like, we like it, to it dabble in the light racism on this program whenever possible. The, the difference is you had the food intelligence to back it up, whereas uh, we just sound like bad people. Whereas y'all just wanted to throw chili peppers in. <laughs> when in doubt. That sounds good. When in chili doubt, peppers. Chili peppers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, your second course will be an Orioles Bolognese holding the position of a fairly light pasta starter, but with a surprisingly complex and meaty mouthfeel. Our homemade pasta is complemented well with some surprising additions from previously discarded recipes. <laughs> Nate McLeod. <laughs> However, it does lack a fifth starter. <laughs> Be yeah, careful. I'll definitely got more, uh, more baseball jokes in. Uh... <laughs> now, you want to be careful with the Orioles Bolognese because attempts to quantify the flavor may prove fruitless. It's best to sit back and enjoy the ride. We recommend pairing with a natty bow. <laughs> I'm as, actually as every wearing good a, uh, a natty be. bow t-shirt right now. Excellent. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So uh, we, we actually went with a total of a four-course meal, but there will be a light Red Sox sorbet between courses. <laughs> um, this fruity palate cleanser, 
cleanser is delicious, but fundamentally inconsequential to the overall dining experience. Uh, some diners have complained about an aftertaste of fried chicken and beer, but either way, the initial delightful taste fades away quickly, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Red Sox survey. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that, that's just a way of uh, getting to the fact that we are both completely terrified of the Red Sox this year and wish they'd go away, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we had, a thing on, uh, we had a thing on our website today, which is uh, baltimoreonspodcast.com, where we noted that the Red Sox are 18 and 8 and the Blue Jays are 10 and 17. And if you reversed those... It would be about in line with what most people were expecting at the beginning of the season. Makes some kind of That's sense. Very true. Yeah. All right. Um, for your fourth course, uh, we're going to go Yankees. Uh, we're going to serve you a well-aged steak served in a twelve thousand seven hundred and fifty dollar per bottle Merlot reduction with a sousson of dust, a side of fingerling potatoes sautéed with Budweiser. Tears of the Innocent and Impossible Production from the Bottom of the Order completes the dish. The potatoes can be switched out for the vegetable of the day or any opposing team's star of yesteryear. <laughs> I like it. And uh, You, you, you got to get the old jokes in with the Yankees for sure. <laughs> as many as possible until they rebuild with a terrifying young roster again. Ironically, ironically enough, the old jokes with the Yankees never get old. <laughs> Good jokes. <laughs> All right, and finally, uh, the last team, the Tampa Bay Banana Flambe, provided by our gray fox of a, of a dessert chef. This traditional dessert is a very untraditional presentation. No bananas appear in the dish, and yet somehow <laughs> bananas are prominently evoked, not for those who are allergic to nuts or a five-man infield. <laughs> so there, there is our much less culinarily appealing but... Uh, Potentially baseball relevant yeah. AL East menu. It, do, it does the trick. You got you got some good jokes in. <laughs> so what what I'm thinking, Jay, is you're going to actually prepare your baseball themed pop up dinner, um, and then we will come down and eat it. <laughs> mm, that could work as well. Because <laughs> uh, initially my thought was maybe Jay could do his pop-up dinner and then we could also do a pop-up dinner and, you know, maybe do a little cross-promotion. But I'm thinking maybe we just eat your food and enjoy ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much safer bet. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us tonight. Everybody needs to check out Jay's website, which is biteandbooze.com. You can stream his radio shows there. You can read his blog. And uh, perhaps soon you can read his AL West five-course meal, which he has uh, related for you on the show tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Baltimore. The home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. And we sometimes get so carried away telling you who we are that we forget to We sometimes forget to tell you about the third member of what we've come to call the dream team. He's really in 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 many ways he's the point guard. 
yes. of the team. To move for a moment to basketball, he's the point guard that really ties the ties the team together. He's he's the he's the Lebowski rug of our um, the Lebowski rug of our hearts uh, of our hearts. <laughs> His name is Scotty, and he's our intern. And we'd like to do a segment for you now, which we call Intern Scotty checks the facts, checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Check him out, y'all. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Checks the facts. Intern Scotty checks the facts. Now, we just sat here and praised Scotty. (laughs) But Scotty this week was a lazy bastard. He didn't come up with anything that we did wrong. He didn't come up with anything that he did wrong. You know what he did? We've been talking about the problems with America at great length on this program. He outsourced his job. He did. And we are very thankful for the uh, the, the rest of America stepping up yes. to do the work that Scotty was unwilling to do. Yes. Instead of going through the last week's episode with his customary attention to detail and informing us of the errors that we made, uh, Scotty just passed along to us the following voicemail from our alert listener, Carne, that goes like this. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Carne Cabeza Neal, I guess is my real name. Uh, I'm listening to the show, and I want to point out two errors that you guys made. One, you called it belly, and it's actually pronounced dewy, like the thing in the ocean. And uh, you said that they were chanting Manny, Manny, and that is not true. They were... They were singing Macho Man. Uh, I just wanted to call and let you know that. Now, Carne, who did us the, the very great solid of writing a lovely profile about us at the website Utah Street Report, um, is absolutely correct. On a couple of levels. And I think most levels. fundamentally, he points out a very, very key uh, uh, discrepancy that we do not bring up enough. <laughs> it's, it's time for us to come cleaner than we have previously. I guess we've danced around it. <laughs> I'd say we've mentioned it for sure. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, Alan and I are the hosts of a Baltimore Orioles program where we wield, to borrow a phrase from our previous guest, Eat More SK, we wield a lot of righteous Baltimore indignation. <laughs> Despite the fact that neither of us are from Baltimore. No. And, and really uh, haven't spent a very significant amount of time there. Uh, except for to visit and, uh, and observe Orioles home games. Yes, that's true. Now, Carne uh, um, makes the, I think, very good point that it is, in fact, Bowie, which is the home of the AA uh, Orioles affiliate. Yes. Uh, and it really highlights the fact that our accents are not from Baltimore. <laughs> no, they they are not at all. They are not at all. Um, and uh, I think, you know, what this does, Alan, is it really reinforces um, the image that I think a lot of the listeners have of us as itinerant drifters, mm-hmm. um, wandering the nation, uh, dispensing pearls of wisdom, Um I think I think you're actually talking about our vision of ourselves. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, you know, I get those th- two things confused, <laughs> which is uh, why I'm the co-host of a podcast. 
<laughs> so thank you, uh, Carney, for calling in and sending us straight. Um, and also, I, everybody should check out Utah Street Report, which is a great Orioles website. I do think that the uh, chanting in question often is both Manny and the dulcet tunes of Macho Man. Yes. Well, what I have been really enjoying when Manny comes up in Baltimore now and people are chanting Manny approvingly. Um, Versus the Red Sox heckle. The derision, as the French say. Um, <laughs> we are mercifully out of town, out of time <laughs> yes, for this week. Everybody's pretty grateful for that. Um, but we did want to leave you with a question of the week. Um, and our question of the week this week comes from our listener, Don, who wrote in with an interesting quandary uh, following Wei Yin Chen's masterful performance against the Athletics of Oakland last week, pitching eight, eight shutout strong. innings. Indeed, being the first pitcher to go past seven innings, Oro's starting pitcher to pitch more than seven innings, uh, a feat which no pitcher since has accomplished. Um, he wondered what the next uh, weakness of the team that's going to be fixated on, the, fixated on by the press is and suggested that it was going to be J.J. Hardy's uh, B.J. Uptonian batting average. <laughs> So we will turn that over to you, our loyal listeners. What is the next media drama to surround the Baltimore Orioles? And what do you think is, do you think they're right that it's it's worth our attention? Uh, and also, what do you think the team's actual most glaring weakness is as we enter the second month of play? And you can hit us up with the answers to those questions and any other information you may have coursing through your veins at Baltimoreans podcast Tumblr. Dot com. Yes, uh, you can uh, go to the website there, click on contact, and uh, you can find out all the ways to get in touch with us. I like, Alan, that you used information coursing through the veins, another drug reference. Great way Just to end the show. keeping it solid. I think is uh, very, very good. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you next week. Thank you very much to our guest, Jay Decody. You can find his work at biteandbooze.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at biteandbooze. Um, oh, and the music we used on the show, as always, our theme song is by Marshall York. Our interstitial music is the song Birdland by Weather Report. And right now, you're hearing the Black Crows with Kicking My Heart Around. Alan Smith, I'll talk to you next week. I will talk to you next week. Sir. No, I'll, I'll talk to you I'll next week. To you. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes.